0: Hamochoa, we are back with a bonus. Already? Wait, already is what it feels already. like.
1: Already.
0: <laughs> it happens too often. But we're here with a bonus episode, which so means we're talking to our mm. Patreon supporters directly. I had posted, I don't know, seven days ago in the chat of Patreon or in the stream, I guess, saying, hey, send some questions our way. We want to do a bonus episode. We want to answer what you want to talk about. We had two people. Send us some questions. If you're listening to this and you're like, dang it, I missed it. One, you got to pay attention to when we post in the Patreon page. But two, don't worry. You can ask your question later and we'll answer it. I might answer it on the main show. We might make another bonus. I mean, we're going to make another bonus episode. We might do that. You never know. It might be something we want to jump into. Like we're going to jump into these two questions. And honestly, now that I'm thinking about our show, these two questions actually compliment each other mm-hmm. so i think let's do rebecca's first and then we'll transition to Courtney. okay all right i think rebecca's question is going to be i think it's going to lend itself to offering courtney maybe some solutions to the problem she's having all right so let's jump into this first of all rebecca says i would love to hear a conversation that includes suggestions on how to foster and build a positive culture of literacy I see what looks like apathy with my middle school GT students, and I'd like to know ways to help them enjoy and also see the value in reading and writing. I'm lucky to have such awesome kids, but one of the issues I have is providing consistently engaging and challenging content for them. GT, as we have said many a times, is your bread and butter. It's literally a part of what you've studied. You've worked with GT kids mm-hmm. for longer
1: than I've been alive. At <laughs> least <laughs> almost. I don't know if it's longer than you've been alive, but maybe longer than you've been teaching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's, this is this is your thing. But I feel like, you know, and I taught... Um, I never had like a full GT class, but I taught GT kids and I've, you know, I've gone to our, the, the GT trainings and stuff. I love teaching GT kids because I think they're one of the most misunderstood groups. In fact, teach me teacher. I believe it's episode two or three was my episode on GT kids. Uh, Was that right with my academic coach John Bowles at the time Um, and he taught me a lot about working with those kids and that's that's still today a really popular episode a lot of season one isn't very popular because it was older and the audio wasn't as good but that one still ticks along Um, I think it's because a lot of people have this questions because I think GT kids are misunderstood Um, Mm -hmm. so from Rebecca's standpoint sounds like she's getting some kids that can probably read very well they're probably very intelligent but there's apathy. Why does apathy happen for GT kids? Cuz we've all seen it. But why is that? Why why are the kids that that should be the most, you know, theoretically engaged? Why do we struggle to keep them to keep them in that 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 level of engagement? Why do you think?
1: Well, Sometimes it's not really apathy, it's the fact that they don't want to it might be difficult and they, they don't want to have any kind of failure. So they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And so sometimes they don't do so they so they don't have to struggle and nobody can see their struggle. In other words, they don't know how to work through things. That's that's one issue. Another issue when I actually taught full GT classes and the kids had never been in a full GT class before, um I found issue was they have been passed on. That that those are the kids who are getting left behind a lot of the times. We end up struggle uh, working with these struggling students and we put all of our time, energy, emphasis, and it maybe even money into these students that are struggling. In the meantime, we're we've got the attitude, not everybody, but uh, education in general, I'm just using something very broad here. And I know it's not, I know that may not be a good thing, but that's what I'm doing. So, um, but painting it with broad strokes, you're sitting there with teachers who are like, and principals, etc. Uh, They'll be okay. I don't really need to work with them because they're going to pass that test. I don't have to work with them. And so what happens is they, they would rather not think they can pass they get where they can take that um you know the the worksheet if you will and they can make a 100 on it everybody's happy with their 100 but then when they actually have to think about something they get a little bit nervous and a lot of times i noticed when i had sixth grade gt kids and i had a whole class of them i had to what, one of the things I had to do was I didn't accept it until it was acceptable based on what I told them. So in other words, they might say, well, I'm finished with this. And I knew that they could do better. And I go, well, I need you to, it needs to look like this. One example, when I taught geography, I would say it's not a national geographic map uh, yet. So we got to make it geographic national geographic worthy so it would be we got to make it publishing what you got to, you know but you can still do this we got to do it one step at a time and i mean they're no different than than the other kids they have to be taught and so but but i find that apathy sometimes shows up when they're not used to having to think like they have they have escaped by several years without really having to do a lot and so when you finally ask them to do something it often shows up as a lot of care. Then I, that's an interesting point. You know, mm-hmm.
0: um, another thing that I think adds to that is I think sometimes we, we mistake challenge for rigor and engagement, right? Yeah. We take GT kids who um, because of misunderstandings of really what GT is, um that they should be like always wanting to do the most rigorous activity and always wanting to do something that's super high levelness it's not true right like some of my favorite interviews are with elon musk i know people feel a certain way about him so i don't know how our patreon supporters feel about (laughs) him but regardless (laughs) the man is very intelligent you whatever you believe about him you can't deny that fact but when he talks about how he thinks about like engineering problems and system problems. Like I've listened to him on different podcasts and stuff where he really just kind of breaks down the way he thinks about something and all that. Honestly, he's, he's just being, it's just really creative and inventive and trying to find easy solutions to complicated problems. Right. But in school, it's like, we want to take that away. We, we want kids to, we want them to go through the Mm -hmm. hardest process to get to the solution sometimes. And I I feel like that you're nodding your head. So I feel like that you've seen that with GT kids. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, not only have I seen that, but, but they do, they give them the hardest problems uh, because they can but then here's what they really do this is I've seen this a lot and that is they multiply the work okay so you can do this so now I want you to do more so you're going to do five of these where you know somebody else has modified work and they only have to do two but you have to do the five hardest ones and i think you're right i think i think when i was shaking my head i was shaking my head because yes uh, you're right on that creativity part. A lot of times our GT programs are ran by, and I'm not against college board, but but these schools have bought into college board. And so everything is an academic situation. And sometimes these kids are ta- like what you're talking about, Elamas, they're not just academically intelligent, but they're creatively intelligent. And we take creativity out of the classroom. Really fast because of these tests and things that we have to do, and you know we we talked about this I think the other day. You know all of the demands and everything that are on these teachers and the GT kids are they're they're sometimes our goofiest, misbehaved most misbehaved student because you know they're bored or like I already expressed another situation, and um, but we've just flat out taken creativity out of it, and then when we try to put it back in. They can't because they haven't been trained and they don't see the value in it because our system's not set up to see the value in it.
0: I could not agree more. (laughs) (laughs) That's my love language right there is just talking about the lack of respect I guess, might be the term for creativity in schools. Um, it's, it's, it's my biggest proponent of whenever we talk about stuff. Um, and this actually connects to Courtney's question a little bit, which is why I'm glad we started with Rebecca's um, talking about, you know, fostering a love for all of this, you know, it, to, to get to the question, but to also connect to your point is I think that's really the key, right? Is we know Rebecca's a great educator. Um, we know she's passionate. Um, and so telling her to connect with her kids is kind of, it's, it's a non thing. I know she's doing that, but I think the the question that we all have to do when we start seeing apathy in our students, which we all do is going, okay, so I know them, but what, what are there barriers to keeping them engaged? That's always like my first question. It's like, okay, so they're assuming they're all, you know, decently competent readers in her class. Am I forcing them to read specific things? Only mm-hmm. right. Sometimes that's good. We've we've talked about all the time of having you know multiple kinds of text in a classroom. You want choice. You want things. But there's also times to show kids direct uh, text or to to force them to write something very specific. There are times to do those things, right? But is, are those being in, are those being, uh, implemented too much? Are you robbing control in terms of trying to push them a lot more? Cause I, one of the things that I found, um, and this, we've talked about the student before on the podcast. Uh, you had a kid last year who ended up coming to my class, um, Cause he had some type of issue. I don't even
1: remember what it was, but he liked you more than me. That's all it was. Well, and now he's like, I think I know who you're talking about. If that's the case, he now has our partner. Cause you know, she moved up to the uh, eighth grade. Uh-huh. And so he, I went in there the other day and I said hello to him. And he goes, I'm still not talking to you because you're not Chastain. <laughs> but since Chastain's not here. I'll talk to Miss Burton. I mean, that's exactly. Are, what we ta- was are, we, are we talking about the kid who wanted to write a novel? Yes. Yes. I know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) And that's exactly what he told me. And I said, you know what? And then I asked him, get this. I said, so are you still writing that novel? And he goes, no, I lost interest in that. Now I'm writing something else because, and then he told me, you know, the new genre, the new specific thing. So he's still writing. He's just writing something different now. And he's decided he was using too much of something. And then he decided, at too much, I guess, fantasy. So now he's decided to be a little more in the real world or something like that. Anyway, he gave me this whole long thing, but he doesn't like me because I'm not you, and that hasn't changed, Miss Changed, Miss Ochoa. But since Chastain's not here, I have to have Miss Burton. So Miss Burton, I'll talk to you today. Lord. And that's exactly what he did. So no, it all has to do with I'm not you.
0: <laughs> well, with that said. <laughs> He, so the way I kind of got him to do a lot, he ended up becoming one of the best writers I had that year. Um, yeah. Truly, truly, he really did. But he, uh, he, I, I let him do that for a long time, even past when I probably should have. Um, mm-hmm. and then I just started going, Oh, Hey, what do you, what do you think about like this chunk? What if you made this into something else? Or what if you wrote about that? And so I kind of fed, I let him have that freedom, but eventually, you know, to, uh, a lot of these kids are so creative or they end up petering out. Right. They're just like, they have like this really passion for something. And sometimes you just got to let it happen because if you try to, the moment you try to like stop it, um, Mm -hmm. inorganically, it'd be, now it's a power struggle. And now they're like, well, I'm going to keep doing it regardless of what you think. Right. Right. And so sometimes you just gotta be, you just gotta outweigh them because they're going to get tired of it. They're kids. They don't know what they love. They don't like They're very few will be that obsessive to where they'll continue it forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is also a strategy to engagement is meet them where they're at. If they're really focused on something, then try to tie it into what you're doing. Try to do that. And then eventually when you gain their trust, um, start moving a little bit along. Now I know Rebecca, this is later in the year. So she's seeing apathy at this point in the year. Um, I think the conversation is just a little bit different than that. You know, I th- I think everyone's apathetic at this point in the year, honestly. I don't no. I think teachers are, I think students are, I think, you know, uh principals are, I think everyone is just like, "All oh, right, we're you're in you're in the home stretch. Testing season is abound." That's There's, it right there, testing season. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, you just can't It's hard to do that, but it's also you just have to I I feel like with apathy, you kind of have to trust the process that we all get apathetic. Like, I've made the... I've, I've said this before, and you always uh, vibe me a little bit when I say it on the show, is, you know, sometimes I don't want to jump on the podcast, right? Like, it's just... What? There's, there's times when I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk for an hour about something. <laughs> I just want to go sit on my couch and be distracted. But the show yeah. must go on, as Queen says, okay? As the great Fred and Mercury right. sings, the show, the show must, must go, go on. on. And so... Yeah. I think that's the case with with apathetic students, too, is, yeah, it's like, let's talk about that. Why are we apathetic? Even having that conversation is like, hey, I know you're being I know you're not really into this right now. What is it that's not connecting? Like, I, I don't know. Have you ever had that conversation with kids to see what they say?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, as I you know, I have this um, one student right now that I think I told you, he writes about math. If, if, if it's about, it's only about math. Um, and so we're trying to write a story, but what does he want to write about math? And I'm like, okay, so how, and, and I know that. And I'm like, well, what if you write, a create a character who's similar to yourself that loves math and put them in a problem that they've got to solve? And he goes, I can do that. And then he started writing a story. Um, he's the one who, his informational essay was over algebra. So, you know, that's that's just how he is. I've I've had another, I, I try to find out exactly what, like you're saying, I, I want to know what makes them tick. So they're like sitting there. They don't want to do anything. Okay. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because, he, and, and I explained to him, I have to make sure that you can pass this test. Okay. So kind of like Linda Reef, you mentioned this when she talked to you in your podcast, you know and that was give me a good faith effort. I think that was Linda wasn't it? give me a good faith effort and once you give me that good faith effort then you can go work on the thing you want to do. That's one way to do it. Um, but what if you took their their topic and figured out a way to help them write about the topic that they're really into but in the genre that you need? Um, And that's kind of what I like to do. Um, So that's what I do. And so I'm pretty open about that. And so a lot, again, going back to everybody knows that I love to list and going back to that list for me, my creativity is how can I create a list that's going to engage them? And it's usually things like, what do you want to learn? What do you have a strong opinion about? and what would make your day today? you know, whatever it is, what, what is the one thing that you wish you could do, you know, anything like that. So you could, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You could, what are the hobbies that you like to do? What are you thinking about today? List all the things you're thinking about today. It doesn't matter. Be creative with your list and, and try to create lists that match your situation. If, if I want my kids to write a story um then what they do is they create and my list is create names come up with the the a name here's another thing too I'm, I'm just not thinking about this you you say it like this create a list of names but try to think of names that you don't think anybody else will ever think of and the minute you challenge them that way then then you've got them uh there's a, a delisle jim delisle and some people like him some people don't it just depends on what I like him. Um, He's the one that he likes to talk about what parents uh, and, and how to help parents with GT kids. But I actually got to see him in action one time. And he said the way he challenged the kids is he would say, go ahead and write your story, but write it without. And he would take a letter out. You can't have the letter E in there. And then that would challenge them. And so sometimes you might have a kid that that would destroy. But sometimes that kid who likes a challenge, you know, say, okay, go ahead and write your essay, but let's write it without using a word that has a word that ends in E. Now they got to work with their language a little bit. So, I mean, it's just stuff like that. You got to kind of, you kind of have to be creative with how you challenge the students but you challenge them but you don't challenge them by making it so difficult like that rigor you're talking about you know you want it to be something that meets them where they are i like what you said there well i I might have said too much no you're good
0: well you kind of hit on the last piece of her question which i think is good before we kind of move over to courtney which is you know she says she's just having trouble she's having issues providing consistently engaging and challenging content for them. I think that's an interesting phrase because what I would instantly ask Rebecca is, okay, so what do you think is challenging content for them? Right. Yeah. yeah. What, what is challenging by your definition? Are you talking about just difficulty? Like I have, there's a great interview. Um, And I need you to remind me to link this. You probably won't unless we post this this weekend, which hopefully we will. But I need you to remind me to link. There's an interview from the author David Foster Wallace. Um, He wrote the book Infinite Jest. Um, He was a great essayist. Um, He ended up committing suicide uh, a long time ago. But there's an interview, um, I think, with... What's his name? Who's that great interviewer guy? Charlie something. Oh, uh, Charlie Rose. Yeah, I think I think it's Charlie Rose, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's this wonderful, wonderful interview where David is. He's talking about kind of his writing process and going through whatever, because he wrote difficult books like it's not easy. And he talks about like the the need for people to still have fun in literature and he talks about how some of the more difficult stuff like that he would write was it's really written for a specific audience right it's like making really complex music or making a movie that you know isn't going to be you know a spider-man box office hit but it's going to be something that a very small group of people praise and love because of its artistic value all this other stuff right um, and it's he just had he just points out that there you kind of have to know your purpose, and so something like Infinite Jest, which is literally over a thousand pages long, most of the story is told in footnotes, which is f- in fiction, right? It's not nonfiction, Crazy. but there's footnotes, and those footnotes connect to the story. And some of the footnotes and some of the sentences literally last multiple pages like one sentence that lasts like 10 pages, right? It's not an easy thing to read. And in fact, I've never read the whole book, if I'm going to be completely honest, because <laughs> it's such a challenge. It's my it's one of my like goals to really go through the whole thing. But. Regardless, he, I think that's a really good example. And that interview's example of him talking about how there's difficult. And then there's fun and then there's kind of this spectrum in between, because for me, sometimes I really love reading a difficult text. Like I was at Barnes and Noble the other day uh, waiting on my phone to get repaired. And so I walked over to Barnes and Noble and I just hung out and I picked up Great Expectations, which of my favorite novels of all time, probably top three. And I started reading it and there was a time where Charles Dickens was extremely difficult for me. To where, like, it was just it took so long to, like, acclimate myself to his language. And now I've, I've read so much of Dickens and I've reread Great Expectations three times. Um, and I just I, I love his language. And I just now I just enjoy the way he flows. It's the same way like you read Shakespeare, right? If you haven't read it in a while, it's really weird at first. And then when you go back to it, it's all of a sudden like you just kind of get the flow and it's it's very good. But not everyone enjoys that. Right. Not everyone wants to pick up Charles Dickens and go, oh, I want to read this. Now they want to read like the next thriller that just came out that has really easy prose and just has a plot that you can follow along. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're working with GT kids, you kind of need to. It's that balance because you want to challenge them. You want to push them. You want to show them things that they're they've never really seen before but you don't want to do it to the point that you ruin the fun of what literature is because yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the grade Rebecca teaches, but if you don't have sixth graders and I taught sixth grade for a long time, you don't like, I would show them like we did the tale of two cities. Often we, I would take excerpts from that. We never read the whole book, but I would take excerpts from that to analyze, but I didn't do that like every day. Like I wouldn't try to mm-hmm. just beat them over the head with some of this stuff. Um, I would try to throw in the other things and, you know, let them read comic books and graphic novels and enjoy because they're still sixth graders they're very intelligent but they're still sixth graders and i think that's the challenge especially in middle school um, with a lot of these kids is that yeah their their intelligence is pushing them to a certain level but their interests are still kind of their age range and, and the kids they're a part of and i think that's the unique challenge of teaching younger gt kids what do you think
1: yeah, I mean, that's what when I taught my classes, those were when I had a full GT class, they were given to me. So I'm sitting there with about 20 or more GT kids and they're all I mean, some of them are extremely brilliant. Some of them are extremely creative. And, um I you know, me, I believe in choice. Some of the things that I always use is I, I do use some creativity strategies. Um Scamper is one. Uh, to analyze a concept. Another one is uh, Sarah Kaplan's um, depth and complexity icons. And that's a way to look at something from totally a different viewpoint. So I would, I would think that that would be something that we might could link in there if they don't know those. Uh, another one was uh, thinking hats, But anyway, the point is, and then high, middle, low, I, I felt like I I used that what would, you know, made sure that I had all three of those high rigor, low rigor, middle rigor. And um, anyway, so, for example, um, we are studied back then when I had them, we studied our curriculum was set up by by genres Does that make sense? So, this particular time we were doing science fiction. You can do this with any of them. And I know you know this because I've shared this before with you, but, and I might have shared it with the, with the, uh, uh, with our, with our patrons and all of that. But what I did is we were doing science fiction. So, I allowed the students to go to the library. They all chose a science fiction book. It had to be science fiction. And then we, analyzed our books i let them read it read at least their first chapter and then after that we we grouped the students based on their topics their science that's in it so we had genetic code science but one of the students the genetic code one um changing the genetic framework of of a group you know something like you know uh dr jekyll and mr hyde right well that's an adult's book that was at the high school but her parents gave her permission to use it uh and so she we we got it from the high school with the permission of her parents because it was a little you know higher level but she could read it and so what she did is she and another person who i can't remember what theirs was but dealt with genetic codes they took out Uh, the genes and what it would take in order to recreate another being and uh, they created this whole entire display about the science that's in the science fiction well i had another group that did time travel and they researched ended up researching einstein's theory of relativity and this idea of going through and these were sixth graders and they created this whole thing. So th- what I ended up having them do is they created these presentations and one side of the presentation had to analyze the the literature that they read. And the other one had to analyze the science that was in the science fiction, the actual science, the theories and stuff like that. And so then we created a fair, if you will, and everybody, um, so, so we were kind of like a science fair and, and, uh, we had people come in and they presented their information. So that's what we did. And I mean, I think I had a hundred percent participation and they worked in pairs and, um, it was pretty cool. So they each had two different books. And then, so it, the way they, they would do these trifolds back then, you know, cause we really didn't have all the computers, but they had the trifolds. So the two outside parts of the trifold were the books and the analysis of their books and then the science in the middle that combined the two books that's how the two books connected was the type of science so we had time travel we had space we had um relativity you know those kinds of things so it's pretty cool i mean it was fascinating we had one do the wrinkle in time that was the relativity one do you really have wormholes and things like that are they real
0: I hate that book. So, by the way,
1: <laughs> I, well, that was one, one. But the kids chose the books. Does that make I sense? Know, I'm
0: just saying. I don't. I'm not a fan. But, just wanted to put that. Yeah.
1: Out there. But anyway, that's how I worked with them, and and uh, but I use those other strategies because I gave them those other things. So when they had to think about everything, they use Sarah Kaplan's, depth and complexity icons to help them know if they've thought about it all the way around. So those are things that I that I've done. Anyway. Um, and then, you know, then of course they had to write about it. Always make them write about it. So they had to write an explanation and they had to write their speech. So that's their informational text right there.
0: And you know what? I'm so glad you said writing because this is what Courtney is talking about today.
1: Exactly. So let's
0: transition. Rebecca, if let's we didn't do. answer your question well, respond and we'll follow up. We promise. Mm-hmm. Hopefully mm-hmm. we covered or at least got your your thoughts going in the right direction. But let's go to Courtney. She says, yeah. I know y'all have hit this already, but you can yep. you please revisit the star extended constructive sure. response? Third to fifth graders are expected to write slash type an essay. From scratch yes, they In are. response to an informational text You're testifying over there Ochoa We just finished our hey, argument man. <laughs> <laughs> Getting my uh, Getting my 5th graders to write An argument <laughs> essay with my continued support Graphic organizers, anchor charts, models And other resources was difficult enough I hate what this is doing to my teaching But I feel like it's time to drill and kill The 5 paragraph essay structure Since that's what the state considers A 5 help and happy Spring break. It is a happy spring break. We are adjusting. We're coming to the end of it, but we are still doing our thing. Oh, Choa, I know you have a thought about this already. I'm just going to pitch it to you. Does she need to be stressing about the five paragraph essay?
1: I don't think she needs to be stressing on the fact that it has to have five. I looked at the rubric. Um, it says that the, that in the rubric, it, it mentions that the it has to have a central idea. I think no matter what, it has to have a central idea. It has to have an introduction and a conclusion, and then it needs to have a body. So, number one, I would just, I would take it, and I learned this from Dr. Carol in her book, um, Authentic Strategies for High Stakes Test. And she took a, a paper, and they folded the top down, and then they folded the bottom up so it had three spots and there it is there's your your introduction you need to have a body and a conclusion it gave it gives them a visual um but but it can be different but it kind of gives them this idea that the that the introduction doesn't necessarily is not necessarily that long the body uh is longer the conclusion is not that long and then inside that they wrote um you know you you would kind of just on your paper you would you would talk about the fact that you have to have a controlling idea if they do not have a controlling idea they don't get graded that's it so the number one thing that she if if i instead of drill and kill but the one thing that i would work on at this point in time would be get that controlling idea down no matter what controlling idea every day we would do a controlling idea now where they would get their controlling idea from at first is i would let them choose their own topics what do you want to say about that topic so that's where a list what do you want to know more about that's all i would do what do you want to know more about they give a list and then now let's research circle one of them do some research on it have them look it up okay and then turn all their research over and then they write their controlling idea what do they want to say about it and then i would teach how to do a controlling idea but really i wouldn't make it a a lot of people want to spend a lot of time at this level on this you got to have a a controlling idea like like you have an abc if you will you have uh what it is you're talking about um what you want to say about it. And then you have to say the, because, you know, because this and this, and they put their reasons in there. At this point in time, they just need a controlling idea. I wouldn't spend my time figuring out how to do my reasons. A lot of people like to do that cloth fit, you know, controlling idea thesis or whatever you want to call it. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would say something like um, clocks keep time, you know, that mm-hmm. right there is a controlling idea. And then I go through and explain why they keep time and how that you know our uh, clocks. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm just looking at the clock all of a sudden. What? What's another? Give me a topic. I don't care. Just give me a topic.
0: Um, a topic. um a topic. Yeah, I need kind of topic.
1: Like, okay, you did great. Expectations.
0: Yep.
1: Pip. Right. Sure. What's the theme of Pip? What would I want to what would you want to know uh, and information about Pip? Depends on the
0: part of the book that you're really.
1: Well, I don't care which one. Just give me one.
0: Well, I just read the beginning. So okay. that's the that's top of my mind. So him dealing with, you know, the, the criminal comes out of the woods. Right. You remember this?
1: Uh uh-huh. He's got oh, the yeah, ankle brace years. on.
0: Oh, I love mm-hmm. it so much. The descriptions of this, <laughs> of this criminal—it's literally—it's so I could do a whole like ten episode thing just on the first few chapters of that book. They're they're masterful. Right. But but anyway, so that the the how, I don't know the topic. So I guess the how how does Pip's inner conflict appear in the opening chapters of the book? Like that'd be a good topic.
1: OK, so you would do something like the controlling idea would be something like I would you I would tell them I would use that your question as a part of my answer. Right. So it'd be the conflict that Pip, the internal conflict is what you said. Right. The internal conflict that Pip has shows up at the beginning of the chapter when the criminal comes out of the woods and he is faced with good and evil. Interesting. Well, that's actually wrong.
0: Well, uh, that's the fun part, right? Is it doesn't. I think that's the also the other trick to this, too, is it's not even mm-hmm. a trick. I think it's just writing is it's not about making a specific argument. It's about being able to write it in a way that you can defend it. Right.
1: Yeah, I think so. And then but but, it, of course, in the informational, I don't know exactly what they're going to ask. She said she just got finished an argument. Uh, But informational could be, how did the author use um, the convict to show internal conflict with Pip? Well, the author, uh, Charles Dickens, in Great Expectations, showed that Pip um, was conflicted internally by blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. Uh, Let me think of another one. Uh, Figurative language. Uh, the author uses, okay, let's do on a What about um Edgar Allan Poe? Of course, we're talking about what's okay, let's do, let's do this. Let's do the little engine that could. That's younger. All right. So the little engine that could showed that uh not giving up is the best way to be, right? And so their response would be, um the uh in the in the story the little engine that could the author showed that giving up is helps everybody okay they just have to make a comment and then now you have to show how did the author show that the author showed that by and then you just they start writing i don't know am i, am I making it too simple i don't know i don't think so no but they have there's... to have a controlling idea that's the one thing i would work on no matter what well and here's
0: the thing i think that There is, there's some, we get the, I mean, this goes back to our, the last episode that we posted today Mm on the 17th is, you know, the sweating of the small stuff. You can sweat the small stuff in essays all day long. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things and it's so easy to pick the fives or the fours, whatever it is. Um, And, and go, okay, everyone needs to look like this. But when you read them, it really, it's just compelling writing. It's being able to take a single thought in a rough draft and articulate it as best as possible. That is literally what it is. And I think that, you know, to go back to one of my mentors, uh, she, Said that you know you don't teach non-writers how to write a, a a standardized essay. You teach writers how to write a standardized essay. And so, Courtney, you know the we've all felt this pressure, and I think everyone has. You want to jump to all the testing stuff, and you want to mm-hmm. overly stress about it, and you want to really push that. And I'm not saying never talk about the the testing strategies. You know, being able to attack a prompt is is a good strategy to teach. Being able to do that, but We know Courtney has, she's been on the show. She's, she's deep into what we talk about. She's always trying to implement the best practices in her classroom. So for her, like if we were sitting face to face with her, I would go, keep doing what you're doing. Don't feel the need to stress about fitting in some box and you know she might go okay well that's nice and all but my kids still have to write this essay the other day that's fine have them do like once a week twice a week maybe in tutorials read something write a response to it based on one of the star prompts that are out there or uh is she, is she in texas i forget
1: yeah she is yeah
0: mm-hmm. so she uh so take one of those prompts that have been sent out. If she doesn't know where to find those, reach out to us. We can send them to you um, that have been kind of the, the new version of what these are and have kids do them every once in a while and then just have them see where they're at and, and mm-hmm. just go through that process. It doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be every single day. You don't have to overly stress the five paragraph structure because five paragraphs is nice, but cohesive, clear, concise. That's right. Writing. Will always win. It's always gonna win. You could have three paragraphs. You could have seven paragraphs. But if it doesn't make sense from paragraph to paragraph, it doesn't matter. And you also have to keep in mind it's rough draft. So don't judge students' rough drafts against a draft that they might have been working on for three weeks and think that it's doom and gloom. Every once in a while, get a rough draft and go, okay, what is this? What do we do mm-hmm. on our first draft? And based your teaching decisions on that. You want to make sure that the data you're using is the data that you're trying to use to to drive instruction. So if you're talking about rough draft, which is what the test is, make sure you're using student rough drafts in order to find out what you want to teach. I don't know what do you think.
1: Yeah, I think so. And then, but, you know, like I found what you're talking about. And one of the examples here, it it pretty much, the question reads something like this. Uh, based on the article, on paragraph seven on the article, um, it says, why does the, the character use something to build something else? So, I mean, you're, so they would say that controlling idea would be something like, Uh, that character used that uh, material to build, you know, whatever. I don't know if I need to say it because I don't know about copyright, so I'm not sure about that. So, But we can send it to people, the link. But anyway, then from there it says support answer with evidence from the article. So you have to have a main idea. You have to have an introduction. And then you have to have like at least one paragraph that um, uses textual evidence, right? So they have to find the textual evidence that proves what they want to say. And then they conclude it, but, you know, it's really, and like you said, they just need to do these periodically and uh, just check them out. I think I would show them, maybe even have them uh, grade it themselves. What do you think about that? Like have them, you know, like you grade one with them and then, you know, to set up a thing and then then maybe uh, give them one or two here and there, and then they have to grade you know like write one yourself and then have them graded or there's other ones that they have models and examples on the star test um testing site so they could grade some of those just kind of see but have the kids kind of look at them this is what a five looks like let them see what it looks like and then go from there see if they can identify the introduction see if they can identify the um what is it the the, the controlling idea, see if they can identify the conclusion and then just periodically have them look at it until they get better and better. I don't know.
0: So I think it's important Ochoa Mm -hmm. as we reach not the end, but the tail end of this conversation. Yeah. To mention how, you know, we were at, well, you're still there, but we were both teaching at a struggling campus -hmm. Where we literally were faced with getting standardized scores up. That's what we had to do. There was was no question, there was no debate. It had to happen, (laughs) otherwise, people are going to lose their jobs. Like that was, (laughs) yeah. So top to bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we've lived this life, right? I lived it for a mm-hmm. long time there. You've done mm-hmm. it in different capacities, um, mm-hmm. and then we did it, right? We we raised scores, we showed growth, we did all of this. Um, I still show that data today when I present because I think it's a testament to all the stuff we did. But a part of our strategy was drill and kill on specific skills, right? We did do that. We did take kids into tutorials and we worked on star passages vocabulary we worked on vocabulary we worked star on star passages uh mm-hmm. analyzing what questions are really asking and the types of answers you get we did all of that mm-hmm. but our lessons did not just become that right that was for the most part it was really targeted tutorials that we did with targeted groups of kids to get them to get those extra two to three questions correct right it wasn't, okay, so for six weeks, we're going to have Star Wars and we're going to battle and we're going to, you know, do all of this mm-hmm. stuff. We didn't overplay it. We didn't overly stress about it. Heck, we didn't even overly stress the actual test we gave them, right? Like it was, yeah, we're doing a test tomorrow. <laughs> like, And it was fine because we we worked on stuff every day. It was authentic. And then when we got close to test time, we just slowly tightened up their testing skills. It is a skill set to read a test. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. It, but once you know it, you pretty much are set for life. Like some tests are different, right? You know, when you go like SAT is always a shock for kids. You know, I'm thinking of that because of high school, but um, and the ACT and all that stuff. But it's still a test. And once you understand how the test is written, what it's trying to do, the type of verbiage it does, you're fine. It's the same thing as a teacher content test. We've all taken those. Once you know what the questions are looking for, what, like the the way the test is designed, it's all gravy. And so I think you, you get that. Courtney has been getting her kids to write, to be engaged, do all of this stuff months and months and months. Right. Don't stress because the test is coming up. It's all about just refining and getting that knowledge. What does it look like in a standardized mm-hmm. method? And I think it's okay to tell kids that. And I would do that because they, my students absolutely knew I hated standardized testing. I was very vocal about it. But I also held them to the standard. I said, it doesn't matter if I hate it or not. We're still judged on it, right? It doesn't matter if I hate watching my weight. But if I don't, I'll be obese and die of a heart attack in 20 years, right? Like I have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, you know, there's things in life that you don't mm-hmm. like to do, but you still do because you have to, right? And that is one of the pieces, mm-hmm. at least in education today. So... I think you have those conversations, kids like, Hey, I know this is, this is miserable, right? This is, we, we don't want to do this, but we're not going to get down about it. I'm going to teach all some strategies. We're going to practice this. So it's not stressful and you're going to go in you're going to rock it and you're going to be amazing. And kids, I think they respond to that honesty, right? It's not, I didn't just say, Oh, I hate this. We have to do this. Okay. Here's your work. It's, I hate this, but Hey, I'm going to help you get through this. I'm going to help this. I'm going to help you be as effective on this as humanly possible for where you're at, right? That it's that's a that's a different strategy than just being miserable with kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think going through that process, and for Courtney especially, because she always she always she, her fears that she's ruining the 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 passion of reading and writing in her class with her students, right? This her most common question she brings up is then don't keep those aspects and then tell your kids, Hey, I know we have to do this. Let's work on it together. We'll do it two, three times a week, especially as we're getting closer to star, you guys are gonna be great. We're going to do this. And then we're still going to do all the other great stuff that we do and just teach them how it translates. Um, right. And and I think, I think she'll be in a good spot if she does that.
1: Well, yeah, I mean like that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've got to have my kids ready and nobody knows what this, but what I've told my kids it has to have that controlling idea everything that they say the evidence has to tie back so you could use color coding i've used that color coding where they color everything that goes along you know like like they do their controlling idea with blue and then everything that touches on the controlling idea they highlight it if it's something different they highlight it in a different color and that's one thing that they can do but the whole thing is is i'm i'm in the same boat but what what i have done is we're still writing we're still writing a variety of things and then i say okay and whatever it is it's not necessarily star it's like something like i told you earlier i have the kids write about stuff that they want to write about right so that then when i say okay now go back and look at your own writing highlight your controlling idea where is it okay where's your support for that i mean how does your controlling idea weave through your paper color code your own paper And tell me how you know how it does. And then every chance I get, if I can find some kind of frame where they start at the beginning, like for example, the outsiders, you know how we read that. Well, the outsiders begins in the same way that it ends, because the author ties back. So what I told the kids, I said, this is a great strategy. Tie your work back to the beginning. Well, guess what they're doing in their conclusion? They're wrapping it up and tying it back. So what I try to do is no matter what we're reading, I try to show those things that they're going to have to do on the star test and see how the authors are doing them and say, why don't you try that in your writing? But I will let them write on their own topics. But right now, then every once in a while I say, look, we got to take this test. Like you said, um, it's just something we have to do. It's its own little genre. It has to have these parts to it. That's what they're checking out. So let's go back and see. Look, this is what these authors have done. Teach You're testing doing as session. a genre, right? Uh-huh. And I say this is a genre. We're gonna get good at it. So, so what I gotta show you now is how to read the pass, you know, how to read the prompts. So I give a prompt, I even have them write prompts to give to me, and then I try to write it for them, you know, like I try to see if they can stump me, stump the teacher. And they try to create a prompt. So we so that's something she could do that we read um a small little passage and say, okay, you know, like a paragraph, stump the reader, stump, stump the teacher. And then they come up and they they model a passage and they kind of write their own little why did the, you know, why did Susie walk across the street with Spot? I don't know. Explain it and give us some evidence. All right. Now the teacher has to write about it. So that's, that's what I mean by modeling. So that's something you could do, but I agree with you. It's, um, you just have to trust the fact that you've been teaching them. They know how to write, encourage them and let them know that they know how to write, have them go back to some of their old writings that they've done throughout the year. Did you have a controlling idea? No. Well, if you did, what would it be? And have them revise and do things like that. But I'm just looking at these rubrics. And it, it does. It has to have a controlling idea. It has to have evidence from the text to support the curling controlling idea. It has to have a conclusion to tie up all the loose ends. Frame it by tying it back to the beginning. And I think she'd be fine. And just show the kids where authors have done that. And I'm like you. I think it's just time to relax. Not I mean, not relax in the sense that that um you still have to prepare them. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, don't get so stressed up over it that you that you feel like you have to drill and kill them, so to speak, because she used the words drill and kill. I just think that I would, I would, because the more uptight she gets, the more uptight they're going to get. So I would just say, here's what we're doing. You're going to be ready. Don't worry about it. We, we got to write all of these things because we don't know what they're going to expect. Let's have fun.
0: What a beautiful end to a bonus episode, ladies and gentlemen. That's Pamela Chom, Jacob Chastain. I never know how to end bonus episodes or start them.
1: <laughs> you always end on one of my comments.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> you know, it, fine. it comes from years of Teach Me Teacher. I just is rate, that what it is? yes, I because I mean, that's not true though, because sometimes I'll have like a big, like, stump speech and you'll go, yep. And then we'll end there. So <laughs> That's true.
1: That's true. I forgot about
0: that. They, they've happened a few times. I would, you probably close out more for sure, but that's, I just feel more natural in doing that. Cause it's like, you know, cause it's, cause I'm always weighing the option. Cause I see the timer on my end, right. Cause I'm doing the recording. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in podcasting phase, I'm watching it and I go, you know, I just weigh it. Uh, in terms of, okay, are we deep into something? Do I want to take this to the next level? or we've kind of wrapped it up. I don't I don't, I don't want to belabor a point, but I also don't want to end it too early anyway, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> This has been a bonus episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter. I did not read them when I started this. Let's do it now. I know y'all know who you are because all the Patreon people are together. But this bonus episode is because Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt all support us over there. And thank you so much for doing that. We really do appreciate it. We'll be dropping a bonus video this month for our listener plus people. So if you want to bump up your support to get that bonus video, you can. If not, that is just fine. We'll keep that bonus video with them. Otherwise, everyone gets this bonus video and so much more we try to do what we can ladies and gentlemen we are deep into march already which is crazy to think about because we're about to be a summer again and then another year it is weird to think about that things go by so fast um i'm sure we're gonna have a lot more to talk about soon but with all that said know that we are here for you